Well, open up your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 14. And as Dina alluded to in her prayer, the message this morning is about trust. And the question in the title of the message is, do you trust God with your life? This past weekend, me and my youngest son, Jonathan, I was, he was making pancakes. And if you've ever taught a child to make pancakes or make food in general, it can be a little messy and scary. He's, got, he's really gotten really good at it, though, over the past few years. I remember when he was younger, he would just kind of watch and watch his dad make pancakes. One of the few things that I can make. My other kids might debate that. But it's one of the few things that I like to make, I guess. Anyways, he, could, he was watching. And then as he grew older, he actually helped, you know, by putting the mix together and making the mix. And then over the past few years, he's actually started to do it himself with a little supervision by me or my wife or some of the other kids, making sure he doesn't burn the house down. But for the most part, as he does it, they come out, they come out pretty good as he trusts my instructions. The problem comes, as you know, if you've tried to teach someone on the younger side how to make something for the first time, they tend to think that they know how to do it. And they kind of want to do it their own way. So sometimes when they don't follow your instructions... They don't follow your direction or encouragements, you know, like Jonathan has in the past. Not Again, not recently, but in the past. The mix doesn't come out as well. So it's like a little too runny. Maybe he didn't add enough of the flour or the pancake batter to make it thick. So, you know, I help him and I help him thicken it up and I show him how to do that. Or sometimes, you know, when I'm helping him pour, showing him how to pour it without making a mess. You know, little kids sometimes don't do a very good job of that and they get a little messy and then I help him and show him and instruct him how to do it the way, in the right way, so he doesn't make a mess as he's cooking. I think the biggest problem comes is that once you actually pour the batter onto the griddle, and you have to, be wait, you have to wait and be patient. The tendency is to always be checking for the pancake and wanting to flip it, right, because you're hungry. And you think, well, I think it's ready. And what happens when you flip it too early? Well, half of the batter's cooked, and some of it's not, and so it sticks to the pan. And then the other part comes when you actually flip it over and you can't see it anymore. And then you pull it off too soon and the batter or the, the pancake is, you know, all mushy in the middle and on the sides. But as the, your child listens to your instructions, you teach them how to judge the pancake and when to flip it and when to pull it off of the griddle. Again, because you, have you ever bitten into a pancake that's not cooked all the way through? Yeah, it's pretty, it's not, not tasty, but depending if you like eggs and batter. But children tend to do that when it's not fully cooked because they want to do it their way. And I think as I was doing, as we were doing that, and as I was thinking of that, I think of us ourselves and our own lives with God. We tend to tell God, you know, God, in our early in our, especially, especially early on in the Christian faith, we trust God for everything, right? We're like, God's in control. God's going to tell me when to go left, go right, and I'm going to trust him. But then as you grow in your faith, it seems like that God takes his hands off a little bit and lets you go out and do it. And sometimes what we do is we tend to say, you know, I know how to, or we even ask, hey, God, I got this. I know how to do this my way. And sometimes our life can end up like those pancakes that are uncooked. You know, we didn't listen to God. We didn't follow God's instructions, and we find ourselves in a world of trouble. The great thing is that God's there with us and can come alongside of us and instruct us and encourage us so that we come out to be a, a really good pancake to use the illustration 
But sometimes, again, some of us are undone. Some of us tell God, the supreme cook, that, hey, I could do it myself. And as I said, the good thing is God is with us at that time, and he can help us if we will listen. And so how does that relate to this morning's text in Isaiah? Well, as you know, as we've been studying through the prophet Isaiah, that's happened with Israel over and over again. Israel is the ultimate messed up, unfinished pancake in Isaiah. They constantly don't listen to God's instructions. They constantly find themselves in trouble. They're constantly crying out and asking God for help. And then when he sends help, they don't really listen. They don't take the full instruction of the full counsel of God. And as we approach the next few chapters, as we started two weeks ago, and Jared taught in Isaiah 13, and really through Isaiah 23, what we're going to see now is God is going to be directing his anger at all of the surrounding nations around Israel. And he does that for a couple of reasons, but specifically for this morning, as we're going to learn, is that he does not want Israel to go out and trust these other nations. He wants them to know that, hey, I'm in control not only of you guys, but also all the other nations, because Israel has a tendency to, again, like I said, tell God that they have this, or they go and make alliances and allegiances with foreign nations and get themselves in all kinds of trouble. So what we're going to see as we go through these chapters over the next few weeks is God is talking to these other nations about their judgment. And just keep in mind, he's doing that so Israel can see that God's in control, that these guys are not going to get you out of trouble. All these things that you put your trust in and your hope in and you leave God for, you're ultimately going to find out that they're not going to work. And the great news for Israel is that God is always there to help them, to take them back, to instruct them if they will listen. Just like my son, if he listens to me on how to do things, he'll, do, he'll make the perfect pancake. And so with that said, let's, let's turn to the text here in Isaiah chapter 14. Starting, actually, yeah, Isaiah 14, let's go to verse 23, actually 24. So verse 24, let's read through down to verse 32, and then we'll come back and, and find out what exactly Isaiah is talking about. But again, just remember, Isaiah is speaking to Israel about the other nations surrounding them. And so he's going to talk about two in particular. Here he's going to talk about Assyria, who's that nation that is coming and being used by God to bring judgment on Israel, and then also the Philistines. And so Isaiah records these two judgments or pronouncements or oracles. He says this, The Lord of hosts has sworn, starting in verse 24, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. To break Assyria in my land. And I will trample him on my mountains. Then his yoke will be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulder. This is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched over against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned and who can frustrate it? And as far as his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? In that... so. In the year that King Ahaz died, this oracle came. So that was the completion of the first warning on Assyria. And this next one is against the Philistines. And uh, there's a a time reference there. In the year that King Ahaz died, this oracle came. And King Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom of Israel. 
And he says this, Do not rejoice, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root a viper will come out, and its fruit will be a flying serpent. Those who are most helpless will eat, and the needy will lie down in security. I will destroy your root with famine, and it will kill off your survivors. Wail, O gate. Cry, O city. Melt away, O Philistia, all of you. For smoke comes from the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. How then will, you, how then will one answer the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and the afflicted of his people will seek refuge in it. And so these are the two prophecies, again, concerning these two nations that Isaiah talks about. And so, obviously, it's prophetic language, it's poetry, a lot of metaphor and reference to just really to capture the attention of Israel. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to defeat Philistia, he does it in real colorful terms, right? He gets your attention, and that's a big thing that you'll see in prophecy. And that's why the prophets talk about that, to really capture the attention of those who they're speaking to and help them remember it. And so let's go back to the very beginning, starting in verse 24. And let's look at this first judgment against Assyria. And let me read it quickly, just because it's so short. He says this again. Then the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I, have, just as I have attended, intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. So we see that the Lord is saying that he has sworn a promise about Assyria. And he's saying, what I've intended for Assyria to happen, and what I have planned for Assyria, it's going to stand. What God says he's going to do, he does. He keeps his promises. And he's reminding Israel of this. Well, what is that promise? What did he intend to do with the nation of Assyria? And let's look at what it says, following verse, verse 25. He says, so this is what God's plan is with Assyria. To break Assyria in my land... Remember, he's calling Assyria down to bring judgment on Judah, the southern tribe of Israel, or the southern nation of Israel. So as they come down, he says he's going to break them. He says, I'm going to trample him, speaking of Assyria, on my mountain, and then his yoke will be removed from them and his shoulders, or his burden removed from their shoulders. So God's intention for this kingdom of Assyria is to break them, to trample them, and to remove their burden, remove the, the burden from Israel's shoulders. And remember, this is what God had said just two chapters ago. For, so for just a moment, turn back to chapter 10 with me in your Bibles. And I want to show you this in verses 5 through 7. I didn't give this to the media team, so you'll have to look at your, you have to grab your Bible and look at in your Bible or your phone or your iPad or tablet. Pretty soon we're gonna have pew Bible, so I'm gonna we're gonna like confiscate all the electrical, you know, all the electronics. I'm joking. I'm joking. I say no, don't use your phone. Grab a Bible. Okay, we are gonna get pew Bibles, but I'm not gonna confiscate. So look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 10. Go to verse five. He says, "Woe to Assyria!" So he's already told us Israel. I'm gonna call Assyria down. And they're going to judge you. But then he's going to judge Assyria. Look, and this is what he says. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I will send it against a godless nation. And he's talking about Israel. 
and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not intend so, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is its purpose to destroy and cut off many nations. So God was saying, I'm using Syria to come down and punish Israel. But Assyria is going to go too far, and their intention is to totally wipe out Israel and destroy them. So what does God say? Drop down to verse 12. So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work, meaning his intended work with, his na- with the nation of Israel, on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. So again, this is what God had intended in verse, had, had planned in chapter 10. And here we have in verse 14, you can go back now, what he intends to do. He said, this was my plan from the very beginning and I'm going to do it. I'm going to trample. I'm going to break Assyria. And nobody can stop it. So, again, Assyria was coming to just be used by God. But they went too far. And so God is going to destroy them or punish them. And then the prophet Isaiah says something interesting. And this will be our application when we come back in a few moments. Look at verse 24. Excuse me, verse 26. So after he said, this is the plan, right? I'm going to bring Assyria down. I'm going to destroy them. Verse 26, he says, this is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out against all nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned, verse 27, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? So now Isaiah is saying that this is God's plan for Assyria But guess what? This is also God's plan for every nation, against all nations. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments, in particular, and how that applies to us. But what we see here is a picture of God's plan. So this picture that God says, hey, I'm going to use this on Assyria, he says in verse 26, that this is a picture of God's plan for the entire world. It's a plan not just for Assyria, but for every nation. Well, how so? Does that mean God's going to destroy every nation in the world? Well, kind of. Kind of. Every nation that opposes God, just like Assyria did, will be destroyed. That's God's plan. And God's laid it out very clearly in Scripture. And we'll, Like I said, when we talk about the application, we'll look at that. Every nation that ultimately opposes God will face judgment, just like Assyria And every nation, this is a good thing for us, every nation that attacks God's people will ultimately be judged. Right? We see God's hand protecting Israel over and over again. And by extension now, as we've been grafted into the the nation Israel, as Romans says, we too have God's protection. So that's God's plan as well. And then also, it's, it's worthy to note that God's plan cannot be frustrated. So what God says is going to happen is going to happen. Going back to my illustration about pancakes, if I tell my son, if you flip the pancake over too soon, it is not going to cook. That's just the law, right? I, I didn't make that up. That's just how it is. That's, that's the plan. That's the intention. You turn it too early, it's not going to cook. So you have to wait. Same thing with God, obviously, in a greater way than a pancake. But God's plan is, you know, A, B, and C. And if you follow it, he promises 
you know, these things. And if you don't follow it, he promises some other things. And we've seen that over and over with the nation of Israel. He says, Israel, if you follow me, if you do what I've called you to do, I'm going to bless you in all these numbers of ways. And if you don't follow me, Israel, all these cursings are come upon you. And so Israel has that choice. That's God's plan. That, that can't be frustrated. That cannot change. And it's up to Israel to make that choice on how they're going to do it. And as we've been seeing, they always choose, unfortunately, to drift away from God. And therefore, they get punished. And so God is saying again, and I'm kind of getting into the application, but we'll talk about you and me in a few moments. This is a picture of God's overall plan for everybody, the entire world. So let's move into the second judgment that Isaiah addresses, and that is against Philistia. So he says, in the year of King Ahaz, the year that King Ahaz died, in verse 28, this oracle came. So this, and we'll talk about the significance of King Ahaz in a moment here. So this is the oracle, and it, and it goes through verses 29 through 32. And actually, I'm not going to read that, just because we're going to just summarize it. So what's going on here? Well, with King Ahaz, just a little bit of history so what happened is Assyria is coming and attacking the northern half of Israel. And King Ahaz sees this. He's the king of southern Israel, the southern half of Israel. And so he has the choice to make. Do I, because he's also battling with northern Israel. The southern, north and south are always fighting in Scripture as we see through the book of Kings and Chronicles. And so Ahaz goes, well, should I let Assyria come in and destroy them? And that helps me, Right. Or should I, you know, should I help Israel fight against Assyria? But then Assyria is going to come after me. And what Ahaz does eventually is he decides to join forces with Assyria, thinking if I join them and help them, then maybe that Assyria will just stop in the northern half of Israel and they won't come all the way down to the southern half. Well, you know, it's like if I can't beat them, I'll join them. Well, little does he know is that Assyria isn't going to stop at Israel. Right? And so this is, this is what Ahaz had devised, his plan. And so Israel may feel now that Ahaz is dying, that they need to maybe renegotiate that treaty with Assyria and think that they're going to stop them. Or maybe we join some of these other nations so they can help us fight Assyria. And again, as I started in the very beginning, this is where Isaiah is saying, don't join all these other nations to try to fight Assyria, that's not going to help you. Seeking refuge, seeking trust in all these other things, Israel, is not going to help you. You need to seek trust and rest and refuge in me and me alone. And so this is why Isaiah takes the time to talk about these nations. And as we'll see in verses 15 and 16, he's going to talk about some other nations. The point being is that Israel, don't trust them. Trust in God and God alone. And so Isaiah is going to demonstrate that these Regional powers, as we'll see, Moab and Egypt, they cannot help you. They are not the answer. So that's why it's significant that Isaiah points out the death of King Ahaz. So, again, doesn't want Israel to feel tempted to do the same thing. And this is what he's talking about throughout verse 29, 29 on down. And he tells them, you know what, Israel, that Philistia, who is also afraid of Assyria... They're going to come and ask you to help them. Because look at verse 32. Drop down to verse 32 after he 
says all this poetic language. I want you to see verse 32. He says this. He says, then, he says, how then will you answer the messengers of the nation? Meaning Philistia. Philistia is going to come and ask you to join them. And he's saying, how are you going to help them? Because in verses 29 through 31, he has just told Israel that God's judgment is going to come upon Philistia. Look, go back to verse 29. Do not rejoice, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken, meaning the Assyrians, they have been defeated. Don't think that, that it's going to be okay now. Why? He says, for from the serpent's root, and he's, meant, he's meaning Assyria, a viper will come out. So a greater burden, a greater opposition is going to come from the nation of Assyria. And he says, those who are most helpless will eat and the needy will be lie down in security. And I will destroy your root with famine and it will kill off your survivors. And then he says, wail and cry and melt away because guess what? Assyria is going to eventually come and destroy you too. And so he's telling Israel this. He goes, Israel, Assyria is going to come and destroy Philistia. Do you want to trust them? He says, what are you going to do? What are you going to answer the messengers when they come? How will you answer them? This is what Isaiah is saying in verse 32. Again, since the Philistines are not free from this Assyrian invasion and torment, alliance with them is futile. Instead, he says, you need to trust the Lord. Look at the last half of verse 32. That's why he says, that the Lord has founded Zion and the afflicted of his people will seek refuge in it. He's telling them here through these poetic verses, these prophetic and poetic verses, to trust God. That going to trust the Philistines is not going to work out for you. Instead, I have founded this nation. I have given you this homeland, Zion. And it is only by seeking me that you will find refuge. And so that's the message to Israel. So as you think of that, now let's point it to you and me. Remember, and this is why I do it, because in verse 26 now, Isaiah said, this is a plan devised against the whole earth. The judgment on Assyria is a picture of God's plan for the entire world. And I mentioned this already, but for points of application, we need to know this. The Lord has a similar plan against the whole earth. And this is comforting, number one, that it cannot be frustrated. It's going to come to pass. What God has intended, what God has planned, is going to come to pass. That's number one. This is the outline of God's plan. And those who oppose God, as I mentioned earlier, will be judged. And those who come against God's people will be judged. And then fourthly, God saves his people from destruction. This is what he told Israel in relation to the Philistines. So what does all that mean now that you know this is God's plan, right? A lot of times we're like, what is God's plan for my life? Well, these four you can count on. This is God's plan for the entire world. Bless you. Number one, those who opposed him will be judged, right? Assyria opposed God, did not do what he commanded them to do, as we read in Isaiah chapter 10. And because of that, God was judging him. And as Isaiah said, that this is God's plan for the whole earth. And I want to show you an example of that. Because in Romans, when Paul was writing to the church at Rome, 
he said this, starting in verse 5. He says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So here's a warning to every person within every nation, and even a warning to those of you sitting here in this room this morning, because I don't know each and every one of your hearts. Only you and only the Lord does. If you oppose God, you will be judged. And this is what, again, Paul is saying in Romans. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, because you won't repent, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You will render, or excuse me, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those, reading on, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, enter life but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth right these are the proud but obey unrighteousness wrath and indignation there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the jews first and also the greek again this is god's plan god's plan is saying if you oppose me you will be judged That's the plan. That cannot be changed. That holds true not only for Assyria, but as he said in verse 26 of chapter 14, it is the plan for every nation, every person that ever lives in this world. If they're unrepentant and oppose God, they are storing up for themselves wrath from God. That's God's plan. God lays it out, right? Just like us as parents, we tell our children, if you do this, Everything's going to be okay. But if you disobey me and do this, you will be punished. That plan does not change or should not change as parents. We need to hold the line. God says, my plan, nobody can frustrate it. It does does what I intend it to do. And so I issue that as a stern warning for each and every one of us this morning. Are you repentant? Have you given your life to the Lord? Because God says, if you do not, you are storing up for your your future, a day of wrath, where God's wrath will be poured out on every person who is unrepentant, who is stubborn in their heart. That's God's plan, number one. Number two, those who oppose or those who come against God's people, they will be judged, right? That's the good news for the persecuted church throughout world history. Does that mean that no Christian will ever uh, face persecution? You know, if you've studied world history, you know that God's church has been, people in the church have been martyred, meaning killed for their faith. But ultimately, God says that those people who do such things, they will be judged. And sometimes God will save us from persecution and martyrdom. But the reality is, is that we live in a world that will ultimately pour out all their hatred for God's people. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke. You can turn there with me, chapter 18. When he was telling a parable, he says this. It's a parable on prayer, but I think it also illustrates how God will judge those who come against his people. Look at what he says. He says this. Now he was telling them a parable to show them that all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Seeing in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God, And did not respect man. 
There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay any longer? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will, find, will he find faith on earth? The point being there is that God hears his people cry out when they're oppressed. God's promising, even through this parable about prayer, that he is going to issue justice for his people. God fights on our behalf. Even if justice comes at the end of life, know that justice will come. That God will judge those people who come against the church. God will protect his people eventually. So that's the Lord's plan as well. Even if you feel like, hey, you know what? People are persecuting me. You know, they make fun of me or whatever because of my faith. Or I'm excluded from certain things because of my faith. That's okay. If that's all that we face in this world, you know, is maybe made fun of and being excluded, I'm all for that. Because our brothers and sisters in world history and even other parts of the country face real persecution and torture because of their faith. And I pray, and I hope you do too, that that never comes to our nation. But the reality is, is that it's been on every nation uh, since the start of the church and pray that the Lord would come back before that happens. But the point being is that God will protect his people. He can save us and protect us and ultimately issue justice on those who persecute the church. So the Lord's plan is, as explained, is he opposes those, or he will judge those who oppose him. He will come against his people, or he will come against those who, uh, excuse me, I said that wrong. He will protect his people, and he will judge those who come against his people. And thirdly, those who trust in the Lord will be saved. So the good news is, is if you resist God, he's going to judge you. But if you trust in the Lord, he will save you. That's his plan. If you trust me, as I started out at the very beginning talking about the nation of Israel, if you trust me, God says, I will save you. But if you don't trust me and you trust in all these other things, then you're storing up for yourself wrath. I like what Jesus said in the Gospel of John Chapter, uh, chapter 10, turn there with me, looking at verses 9 through 15. John 10, verse 9. This is what Jesus said about himself. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. That's God's plan from the foundation. And he will go in and out and find pasture. So the picture is of a beautiful, you know, there's a shepherd who's watching over the sheep gate. And he lets sheep come in and out, and they're peaceful, and they're just finding rest for themselves. Going on, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them away and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, 
and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I read all of this because this pictures Jesus as the one who saves. He's like, I'm the shepherd. Those who come to me, I will save. I will protect. I will keep safe. No one else will do that for you. Isn't this the message that Isaiah was giving to Assyria? Assyria, I mean, to Israel. You guys keep trusting in every other thing but God. And how is that working out for you? The same thing holds true for us in this life. God has given us so much. But sometimes we forget about him. Sometimes we wander away. And we get ourselves in trouble. And God, in essence, says, how's that working out for you? By not obeying my commands. By not following after me. By giving yourself to other things. How's that worked out? By putting your hope and trust in anything else but God. Saying it's not going to work. It might feel good for a while. Right? When Ahaz made an allegiance with Assyria, that worked out for a while. But Assyria was eventually going to come down. Anytime we flirt with the outside world away from God, it's going to come back to bite us. And if it hasn't yet, then by the grace of God, you should be thankful that it hasn't. But you will learn. God has a plan for the Christian believer to follow after him and he'll bless you. If you don't, you're going to find out and suffer the wrath of God in some sense. So those who trust in the Lord will be saved. I like what it says in Philippians. He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that those who be- that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. The good thing is, is if you're a believer, if you've put your faith and your trust in God, God, does that mean you follow God every minute of every aspect of your life perfectly? No, we don't. But the promise is, you know what? God's working on us. And he's going to perfect our faith. And he's going to hold us close to him until the day that he returns. That's a promise that those who trust the Lord, those people will truly be saved now and and the end. So that is the Lord's plan to explain how he says it's going to be for the entire world, the whole nation. And then I want to point out one last thing as we look at the judgment against uh, the Philistines or Philistia. The judgment against Philistia asks us two questions, and we're going to end with this this morning. Remember when he was talking to Israel about the Philistines? He said, they're going to come and ask you to trust in them, to make an alliance with them. And God's saying, they're going to get destroyed. And when they come, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to go with them and suffer the same fate? Or are you going to reject them and come to me? And so the question holds true for each and every one of us today. First question is this, and I want you guys to think about this. How long will you continue to run away from the Lord and trust in anything and everything else? Now, now some of you, I know this doesn't pertain to you. You're like, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. But there are times when we come in our lives and we come against things or seasons in our life where we drift away. And I ask you this again, how long will you continue to run away from the Lord and trust in anything and everything else? And as you look at your life, how has that worked out for you? Secondly, the second question is this, God is a refuge to those who seek him. So will you run toward him or will you run away? The same question that was given to Israel so many years ago is posed to each and every one of us this morning. God says, if you walk this way, and according to my plan, I will bless you. 
But if you're going to stay over here, guess what? You're going to have a hard time. And ultimately, if you're unrepentant and oppose him and proud, you're going to suffer the wrath of God. So again, I want to close with this last question. God is a refuge to those who seek him. And I ask you this morning, will you run toward him or will you continue to run away and oppose him? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your prophetic word to the nation of Israel that you gave so long ago. We're thankful, Lord, because it's a warning to each and every one of us this morning that your plan cannot be frustrated. What you have laid out in Scripture will come to pass. There is nobody greater. Our world is not greater. Our governments are not greater. And any other nation in this world is not greater than you. And I pray that each and every one of us would see that this morning, that those things that take us away from you, those things in our life that become more important than you, would be laid aside and come second, a distant second in our life, so that we might walk closely to you, that we might fulfill your calling in our lives, that we might truly understand what it means to be blessed by God. I pray that each and every one of us would examine our hearts this morning and ask ourselves, do I trust God with my entire life? And if not, Lord, I pray this morning that if we say, you know what, I, I'm, there's areas in my life that I don't trust you. And maybe the biggest point is we've never really trusted you. I pray this morning that they would come and give their life to you. And that some this morning would come and give their life back to you as they've pulled away from you and sought after other things. And they're finding out that they cannot fulfill them, that they are not satisfying and long-lasting and some, Lord God, have been torn away from you by other things. I pray, Lord God, that you would cause them to seek after you and find refuge in you, the Lord God of Zion. And I pray this in your name. Amen.